Hello and welcome to Black Epics, the podcast dedicated to highlighting successful Black product managers. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Rafael Balbi. Rafael is currently a principal PM at Vimeo. We discussed key factors that he believes helped him get to the principal PM level and his current approach to product development. Rafael dropped so many gems on us, so I'm excited to get into the conversation. Let's jump in. All right. I am excited to chat with Rafael Balbi. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Ah, doing good, doing good. Yeah, always excited for interviews and you have an exciting background. So I'm looking forward to learning about where you're coming from in product and a little bit more about you. Yeah, I'm excited to share it. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, we'll jump right in, Rafael. Do you want to go ahead and share a little bit of a brief intro about who you are and your path to product? Yeah, so uh, my name is Rafael. I'm a principal product manager at Vimeo now. Uh, Vimeo is a video technology company and we help creators, but also businesses really uh, take the power of video to its uh, ultimate truth. So whether that be for communications or generating leads, that's really what we help them do. Um, I'm also uh, taking an executive education course right now at Stanford called the Stanford Seed Program been doing that for about eight or so months and it's really helped up level me. Uh, prior to Vimeo, I was a product manager at Squarespace on the commerce team uh, where I spent some time building things out like subscriptions and also uh, their member areas product, which launched uh, not so long ago. And before that, I've just been a PM at a number of different uh, tech companies around uh, the New York City area and the East Coast. I originally got into product management um, actually through a very roundabout way, which I guess is true for all PMs, in that I graduated school. I was an economics major, had done investment banking for a summer, realized I didn't like it. So I jumped right into entrepreneurship, uh, tried to start a company and it failed. And that was initially my introduction to product management. And so I was kind of doing like semi project management um, and learning about like lean startup validation, et cetera. And over time, I realized like, hey, if I got my title change from project manager to product manager, it would probably have uh, an exponential difference in my career. And of course it did. Mm-hmm. And that was about uh, six or so years ago. So yeah, I've had a, lots of fun being a PM. Uh, it's been a very rewarding career and it's honestly likely what I'll do the rest of my life. I really, really enjoy it. That's good to hear. Yeah, happy that you're enjoying the journey. And also props to you on that principal PM title. That's a big achievement. So yeah, congrats <laughs> for, for getting there. Even though you're you're still early, it seems, in your product career, I'm sure there's way more space for you to move on into other roles. But just getting to principal is a, a huge accomplishment. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to have to chat a little bit. How did you get to that point? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know if there were any key steps or uh, learnings that started to really change that growth curve in terms of your product career? Yeah, I would say it's two things. One of them is a deep-seated internal confidence. And so in particular for this audience, you know, we're typically taught, you know, if you just work hard and you keep your head down, uh, you'll get noticed and you'll get promoted. And we all know that that of course is not true. (laughs) It took me longer than it should have to learn that lesson. And ultimately any place, whether it's, you know, uh, 
our family situations, our work situations, they are hierarchical in some way. There are politics involved, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing or a nasty thing, but it's just the reality of it, right? We're all just human beings, and there are uh, perspectives and, and biases and emotions that come into that. And so me having this really deep-seated confidence in myself as a PM that I was really, really good at what I do and that I'm one of the best at what I do is what gave me and still gives me even more confidence to execute at, at the level that I have been. And really how that's come about is by one, uh, a lot of hard work in product. You know, I've been a PM now for seven, eight years. I've seen a lot of different stuff. There probably isn't a type of product that I haven't worked on. So just having that foundational hard work, I think gives me a lot of confidence. Two, um, I've, I've really been, been sure to revisit first principles of product management. So what that means is reading all of like the typical sources and books and materials. Like it took me six years to get around to Marty Kagan's book, Inspired, which is like the one thing I wish I read when it came out because it would have forever changed my trajectory. And I went really, really deep on that book. What are what is he actually talking about? What are the first principles? What are these concepts and fundamentals? And so when you understand these fundamentals on a very deep level, then it really makes you an exceptional PM that can handle any sort of uh, product that's thrown at you. Because it all boils down to who's the user, what problem are we trying to solve for them? Uh, how do we measure success of that? What's the context of the user, trade-offs, et cetera? Um, so, but the, the only way to, again, sort through complexity when you're not familiar with something is to really be grounded in first principles and solid fundamentals. So Inspired by Marty Kagan is, again, like a must read for everyone. Um, another one that I would recommend that really solidified my product thinking is called, um, and I just want to make sure I get the title right here. It's uh, Design Thinking by Nigel Cross. Uh, it's a design book where he interviews a bunch of different designers. He interviews uh, like a Formula One car designer. He interviews an architect, uh, a materials designer, or an interior designer to see how do they actually think about building experiences for people, right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of corollaries to that as us as PMs because we're building experiences for people. We're just building them um, digitally, of course, but an architect is building that uh, physically with buildings. And, you know, um, an industrial designer is building that through like furniture and how things may be laid out. But a lot of these, all of these things boil down to who am I building this for? What are they really asking for? Uh, and what do they need? And what's, what's the context that they may have for this? And so reading that book, I'd say also gave me a lot of really, really solid fundamentals in product, but also gave me a really nuanced understanding of solving problems elegantly. And so by that, you know, you look at someone who's like a typical product manager, um, like, like a Steve Jobs, right? He's known as someone who has a lot of taste. And in understanding, again, these fundamentals, I can then go into the difference between say uh, an AirPods Max for you know an, an athlete or maybe someone who's on the go versus a larger set of headphones like a Bose uh, Quiet Comfort, right? Or like a Sony headphones, right? And all of these things have different 
um, design approaches, they're built for different people, but really understanding that nuance, I think is what then gives rise to elegance, which is another thing that's really helped me level up as a PM. So yeah, I'd say, you know, coming back to your answer, first thing is just, um, confidence through a lot of hard work and studying these, uh, core fundamentals. And then, um, the second thing I would say is really surrounding myself uh, with the right people. I think there are, again, a number of situations that just weren't the best for me and my career. And I knew that intuitively, but I stuck around for the hopes that it would pan out. But I knew deep down, like, this actually isn't the best place for me to be. They actually don't have my, my best interests at heart. So let me go on elsewhere. Um, and I did, and it's, it's paid off exponentially for me. Mm, Ashe. If I could snap well, I would have snapped many times to that answer. There were so many <laughs> gems in there. And it's interesting. Another thing I noticed in your background is you have done a lot of teaching. How has that played a role mm -hmm. in terms of developing your product skills as well? Yeah, I've done a ton of teaching. Uh, I taught uh, product at GA, uh, General Assembly, for some time. And that, again, was another thing that has really given me a nuanced, but also principled understanding of product. So having to digest uh, a particular problem and a particular user, and then re-explaining that to someone in a matter that is uh, succinct, uh, but also clear, re further reinforces the same principles and like, how do we solve a problem? and who, who are, who's the user, what are the metrics, et cetera. So that's really where teaching has paid off. Um, it's been super rewarding seeing, you know, some of my past students go on to become PMs in Excel, but it's also been rewarding for myself because it's reinforced and also deepened my understanding of, of product now. And so I really see product as, um, as a building in that, you know, a lot of people try to stack like these frameworks on top of things. Mm -hmm. And they feel like if I've got all of these frameworks figured out and I've got like the tallest building, then I'll be like the best PM ever. When really what I've realized is that it's not about stacking bricks on top of one another, because you can do that all day and still have a building that is like not so great or that is maybe leaning to one side or that actually doesn't stand up for too long. Whereas if you have a very strong foundation that is maybe just built on a couple pillars, um, then that's really something that you can build upon. And so teaching for me has hollowed out and smoothened out all of my core product um, pillars, if you will, that no matter the problem I'm trying to solve, I'm able to apply those things um, in a highly effective manner because I understand whatever it is which with such uh, thoroughness and clarity that, you know, whether I'm presenting to the president of my company, which I've done a few times now, or if I'm presenting to a user, I'm again able to talk to that thing with clarity, but I'm also able to solve the problem in the most elegant way for that particular person as well. Mm, yeah, that definitely resonates. <laughs> Plus one to get a few tools in your toolkit and, and hone those tools rather than trying to go too wide have stories on trying to have too many tools early in the career and the, the results of that. So ping me yeah. if anyone wants to chat about that. But um, let's talk a little bit about your, your current problem space though. I'm curious to know what you're working on at, at Vimeo. Yeah, so at Vimeo, and it's funny across all my jobs really I've solved um, the same problem in different flavors. Uh, 
for different people in different flavors. And that's really been empowering creators and small businesses to succeed. Um, so now with Vimeo, I'm doing that with the power of video, which really helps them broadcast their communication, uh, helps them to best represent their content in the ways that they would like for it to be represented. At Squarespace, I did that with commerce, helping entrepreneurs and SMBs, again, represent their, their brand, make sales so that they can be successful. At Live Auctioneers, I did that on behalf of auction houses, taking the, the art and the auction items that they had and ensuring that those were uh, represented well. And so with video, um, you know, COVID has been an exponential boon for the business because of course everything has become uh, digitized and there's there's everyone now has a need for video but with that it's also brought a lot of nuance to the video space as well right so there are a ton of different use cases for video before it was just a oh i might just send over a video to someone but now there's also live streaming now there's also webinars and events now there's asynchronous video communication with a tool like like loom right you can record yourself for 30 seconds and send that over to a colleague um, that's now morphing into uh, Jira and Slack as well, where mm -hmm. you can record literally like acceptance criteria for a ticket to a Jira <laughs> story or a video. And so that's really what I'm trying to solve is just helping uh, creators, small businesses and enterprises utilize the power of video so that they can represent their content, tell their story and communicate with uh, their broader audience. Okay. And you mentioned that common theme of empowering creators and small businesses in your past roles. Was that intentional? I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's something that I resonate with on a on a personal level. Um, you know, my mom was an entrepreneur. She used to sell cakes out of our apartment. And I remember people would come by mm -hmm. and look at pictures of her cakes. And, you know, when I went to college, I also started a small t-shirt business and I sold uh, t-shirts out of my my dorm room so yeah maybe unintentionally it's it's something that has just come about for me um i also find creators and smbs and just general entrepreneurs to maybe be a bit more personable mm -hmm. you know when you're solving a problem for them uh it it means a lot and it's so gratifying to know that you're helping someone you know save money because maybe they don't have to hire a web designer for a new feature or simplify like their payroll or even meet payroll because they made that one sale that they were looking to meet or sell that one item at auction or be able to use their video content in the, in the way that they want to use it. Um, it's, it's really, really gratifying solving problems for SMBs, entrepreneurs and creators. Yeah, definitely. I ask because I'm, I'm working in a similar space, but for me, it, it probably wasn't too intentional initially like I know I tiptoed in the space and then would move away and then something would pull me back. And then I would kind of go back and forth from being in the space and outside of it, but trying to move with more intention and in supporting this community going forward because it is something that I'm passionate about. So th thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. Curious to know, is there a, a big challenge within your team that you're currently tackling or something that's keeping you up? It could also be outside of your team, but just in your space in general. So uh, yeah, one problem I'm uh, continually trying to solve is uh, product development. And what does a good product development process look like? And, you know, it's a topic that is typically a contentious one. There are lots of opinions on it and folks have all sorts of frameworks. Of course, there's also the traditional discussion around like Agile and Scrum and, and what's the best um, framework for doing so. 
And really my approach to product development is something that I've been calling structured, unstructured aspiration. What this means is that I have a structured process that I follow with my team in terms of, you know, I have a very well-written product brief and PRD, product requirements document that I write. Of course, we still write tickets that have acceptance criteria, but the unstructured part of that is that I'm all about framing the particular problem for my team and then giving them the deep-seated confidence and space for them to execute. And so what does that actually mean uh, when actually solving a product? And I'll, I'll take you from like uh, A to Z on how I would do this, right? So let's say we were developing a new feature um, together that solves uh, a new problem for musicians, right? As a PM, I would first start with the brief and really get the team aligned around what is the problem we're trying to solve? And I would really just want to get that in writing. What's, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Who are we trying to solve it for? What are the constraints? Is there anything that we need to know? Typically, you know, it's really easy for teams to jump into design or jump into writing code, but that's the easiest thing to do because it's something that you can just do. But it's much harder to actually align again on like the nuance and the core problem that you're trying to solve. So that's always where I start with my team is let's actually get something in writing that we are agreed and, and aligned upon. Then from there, I would move on to a user journey map. And for this, you know, you can look up Jeff Patton, who's uh, like the originator behind this, but it's essentially laying out the higher level journey that a particular user takes on a set of post-its. You know, you can do that physically or, 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 or digitally. And so having this, this skeleton of the user journey then takes the team a level deeper, right? You were first kind of laid out the problem and then now you're laying out the journey that they're trying to solve. And again, this shouldn't involve any design, shouldn't involve any code or any engineering as well. Then from there, again, you're still not designing or actually writing code. You're still just talking about things and talking about trade-offs and understanding it. Then you move a level deeper, which is now that we've got the skeleton of, 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 of the user journey, now let's actually understand each one of these steps in detail. And then that's when you're talking about um, acceptance criteria and trade-offs and pros and cons about one approach or another. And so as a team goes down in, in like these layer levels of, of, of fidelity, you're continually aligning on what are the core fundamental things that we're doing. And design also has a really good understanding of what they're doing and why. And engineering also has a good understanding of what you're doing and why. Um, now for the unstructured part of this, right? Because that was a very structured thing. So something we do at Vimeo are things called uh, working sessions. And this is something I host every uh, Tuesday morning with my team. And so that involves myself, my designers, um, the engineering team, sometimes not the entire engineering team, depending on the level of, of seniority. Sometimes it might just be the uh, technical lead and maybe some of the senior engineers. Uh, my product marketing manager is there as well usually my manager and the copywriter for the team. And this working session is really a safe sandbox space for us to talk about a particular feature, modal, air state, et cetera, in detail. And so in having this uh, structured place for us to talk about something in really deep detail with everyone being there is great because what it does is that it gives one everyone the same context around the same thing at the same time 
But then two, it really makes everyone an essential stakeholder to the product development process. Some other product processes have this concepts of like, oh, we're going to hand this off to engineering or we're waiting on design. I really don't believe in that. I don't believe handoffs to engineering ever work. I don't believe that waiting on design for things ever works. And it doesn't work because product design, engineering, or marketing for that matter, should be able to fundamentally change whatever the solution is that you're putting forward. Product can change it in that, hey, actually strategically, what we're designing doesn't align with what we're looking to achieve as a business. Engineering should be able to change it because a, of technical specifications that are either blow out the timeline or that just aren't um, feasible, right? And they should be able to fundamentally change that. Even if like maybe your team wants to do a redesign and you know, you're gonna have to build the entire front end. Engineering should, in theory, be able to change the, the solution that you're building um, in a very fundamental way. Design, of course, uh, should be able to change it because they may be moving on to a new design paradigm or maybe you're going through, again, a full redesign or maybe through their research uh, or product research or market research, you've noted, actually, that's not the right problem for us to solve. It's this problem. Or we did some usability testing and the solution that we put forward doesn't make sense. And then the same thing for marketing, right? They could do for your PMM, they might go off and do research and actually come back and say, hey, that's actually not the problem to solve. Uh, or uh, this is actually the, the higher level problem to solve. And so again, in having this working session where we're all talking collectively about a problem once a week, this isn't like an everyday kind of thing. And this also doesn't mean that product is built um, democratically, you know, it still should be very much product led with a vision, rather it's giving everyone one, the same context. So you're not just kind of like writing things down, passing it off into a doc and expecting people to read that. Two, it makes everyone an active participant, which is good, just going to save a lot of time because, you know, instead of having a re-review -re of things that you already spoke about with your design, it's a re-review with engineering. Actually, engineering was already a part of that conversation. So then you also avoid the back and forth of like, oh, well, engineering said this about the design and then design changes it. And then like design gives it back to engineering. You just get rid of that back and forth. And then three, it also just, again, continually builds alignment with that. And so structurally, again, like zooming back out again, we've got a, a brief and a PRD that we've aligned on on a team. We've got a user journey. We've got the steps in, to use that, in, that, in that user journey. And then now we're also having live conversations about it and making artifacts out of that. And so from week to week, I then back away completely and I give my design team and engineering team the space to go out and solve whatever that is and come up with solutions that they think are best. For engineering, this might just be research, right? Maybe we haven't started development. Maybe it's just research. With design, it may be just, you know, actual wireframes. Um, I'm not the kind of PM who checks in frequently, but, you know, I try to check in, uh, you know, twice a week with my design team. And that comes from a, a deep-rooted confidence that one, um, has been earned, um, has been earned by me and them, and that you know I did a really good job of instilling trust in the team, building relationships, having casual coffees and conversations, really getting to know people on on a genuine level, like really looking people in the eye when you talk to them and taking concern out for them, and and vice versa. 
um, that goes a long way because then, you know, you can be upfront with the feedback that, you know, you want to give and you continually can motivate your team. And so this is really how we've gone about building product with my teams. And I think it's paid off exceptionally. It, it has showed in our business results. It has showed in the elegance of the solutions that we've built for our users. It's showing in our morale in terms of having these working sessions and having things that are documented, but in ultimately also having the space to build and create and do what we need to do and be trusted by our product managers, our engineers, and our designers. And if not, of course, there are a ton of recourses to implement, like giving feedback, talking to their manager, et cetera, et cetera. But this is really the, uh, the way that I enjoy working as a PM. And it's something I've been shepherding across the other teams at Vimeo as well. And two quick follow-ups on that process that you just described. How long are the working sessions that you hold weekly? Yeah, the working sessions are, are just an hour. You know, they're, they're really effective. I'm the one that comes forward with the agenda. I'm the one that comes forward with the framing of the problem, the user, the context. Uh, you know, we close each meeting with follow-up steps and then, you know, we'll, we'll talk over Slack over what that is. So it's still very much product-led, product-driven. It's not like an entirely democratic thing. But yeah, they're an hour long and I'm the main catalyst behind them. Okay. And it sounds like they're post brief development and user journeys. And then do they continue throughout product development or where do they fit within the product life cycle? Yeah. So they continue throughout development, but they sometimes decrease in frequency if they aren't needed. So my team started a new initiative at the beginning of the year. We were meeting every week and sometimes two to three times a week just to talk about, you know, user journeys and, and trade-offs and like what research do we need to do? What did we learn from research? How does that then research change the user journey that we've aligned on in any way? So early on, you know, you might have them two to three times a week. And then as you start framing things, you move to a weekly one. Now that my team has actually begun development, I've put them on pause because um, the engineering team is in a really good spot. They've got a super nuanced understanding and deep understanding. And we have all of our acceptance criteria written out in this brief and we're all aligned on that. So they're just going off and doing their thing. And we actually haven't met in, in two weeks now, which is great. We've met for like, you know, uh, sprint review, sprint demo, and they're showing off their work. But in terms of having a formal working session where we're looking at a design together, uh, we just haven't needed it because we're, we're super aligned and have a really deep understanding of it. Uh, but I'll, I'll probably pick them back up uh, next month once the team has had space to execute. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for walking me through your structured, unstructured process. That it was great to hear how you're approaching product development. And yeah, would love to end on that high note, <laughs> but did want to create space if you did have any closing words that you wanted to share as we get ready to wrap up. Um, I would say revisit product fundamentals through and through like Another thing I did and I think really accelerated my product thinking is I just thought on a deep level of what a great product is and not just software products, but hardware products and consumer products. So I literally put together a presentation of like, what are the greatest products ever? And, you know, you have things like Coca-Cola and Red Bull and like this really famous BMW. And I'm like, what, what made all these things great? And what are the software lessons that I can extrapolate from that? Same thing with music, you know, similar to you, I'm a music head and I'm like, what makes an album great? And what are the parallels to that as a PM? And, you know, you can 
on the surface, you have all of these different things, but at the core of it, I think it's elegance, continuity, um, specificity for things, because that's what really derives, um, I feel like, emotion in people and users and like they fall in love with something, whether it's a song or a Coca-Cola can, et cetera, or a digital product. So yeah, revisiting fundamentals, don't just think about software products, look at art, music, et cetera, because there are a ton of other great builders out there that um, don't necessarily have the title of PM, but do what we do in, in other ways. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rafael. That, that was awesome. Uh, that's a great way to close. And yeah, y'all heard some homework you can do in terms of finding some great products. I know I want to put together a list of my favorites and if folks want to share, I would love to see uh, where they go in terms of those directions as well. But thanks again for spending some time chatting products. It's been great to hear your perspective and there were so many gems. So I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. That wraps up another episode of Black Epics. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about this episode on Twitter. Please give us a follow at Black Epics and let us know your thoughts. Are there any topics you'd like to hear in future episodes? Let me know. All right. That's all, folks. Take care, y'all.